Welcome to America's Defense Communities, the podcast presented by the Association of Defense Communities. I'm Randy Ford. Congress is coming back to session this week with a full agenda. So we wanted to take a look at some of the most pressing issues they have to deal with. That includes the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, a continuing resolution to avoid a government shutdown, additional aid to Ukraine, uh, the ongoing blockade of military nominations and promotions. There's also just a few weeks left before the recruitment cycle is up. We wanted to see how the services are doing in reaching their targets. So I spoke with ADC Executive Director Matt Boren, along with Matt Herman of the Roosevelt Group and Mark Kansian of the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Here's our discussion. I started by asking Matt Boren what ADC will be watching on Capitol Hill in the coming weeks and months. What we traditionally try and watch and protect from the Intergovernmental Service Agreement uh, to the Defense Community Infrastructure Program, you know, a lot of times there are attempts to sneak in changes or even, you know, harmful language that would impact those programs. So we always got to be kind of on the lookout. Uh, I think one of the big issues we're going to be focused on is foreign investment. And that's not just in the armed service committees. That spans a lot of different committees. And so, you know, it's, it's something to keep track of because obviously you're seeing a lot of states implement new legislation on this. Uh, ADC has done some work uh, with Treasury and DOD on this. Uh, So we're looking to see if there's any big movement there. Uh, And then beyond that, I think we're, like everybody, looking at the Senator Tuberville poll. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of the offices we work with now either have acting or uh, stopgapped heads, and that affects everyone on the line. I think I read somewhere now that there are over 300 Uh, promotions on hold. And that number will grow depending on how long Senator Tuberville keeps his hold. So that impacts everyone, because if you have an acting in there, they don't feel government, you know, they don't feel comfortable making big waves or trying new initiatives. uh, And it delays progress and it delays innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Well, while we're on that topic, um, Mark, do you want to give us a little bit of an update on kind of what this blockade, um, can you predict what's going to happen? It's, uh, I mean, it'll be a resolve at some point. Uh, what you have is Senator Tuberville is putting a hold on all military uh, promotions and uh, transfers so that starting at the top, uh, you know, many generals are not able to move into their new positions. We've got uh, two acting uh, heads of services right now. Uh, and plus it all cascades down. It's causing a lot of you know, personal turmoil for the people involved because very often, you know, the general doesn't move and the people underneath the general don't move. And, you know, you get this cascading effect on uh, families. The administration has argued that there's an impact on military readiness. I think that's really exaggerated. That We have excellent people in place. Many of them are acting, which means that they can't uh, execute the full scope of their duties, but they're fully competent. You know, the Chinese aren't going to overrun us because uh, of this blockade. And of course, the conservatives say that administration could end it at any time, you know, just by um, lifting this new uh, policy. Blockades focused on DOD's policy on abortions and funding uh, abortions for troops who want to move out of state. Unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be much resolution. Uh, 
uh, ahead. The administration seems quite determined and uh, has a lot of the media on its side. On the other hand, Tuberville uh, is also seems quite adamant and you know, doing a lot of fundraising on uh, his uh, stance. So eventually something's going to happen, but I don't see it happening in the near term. He doesn't seem to show any signs that he's going to change his mind, Senator Tuberville. Quick comment yeah. on that, or just maybe foot stomp. What Mark really uh, highlighted here is sure. the the why. Why is this happening? Both sides see a benefit to this. The White House sees uh, playing up the abortion issue as a as a benefit in the upcoming election. And Tuberville sees the same. Uh, and I think even some Senate leaders as well see some of their members that are able to benefit from it. I think, you know, in terms of a way forward, I think Senator Schumer will start to work on the top nominees. So those joint chiefs of staff positions, they'll have to burn a lot of time, but there's not a they're going to have to burn time anyways as they figure out what they're going to do on a probe. So I think you'll see the top positions. But if you're below that, uh, I agree with Mark, that pathway is uh, crystal unclear. And I agree the readiness argument, a little bit hollow or overused, maybe is a better way of putting it. Um, I think not until there's a real pain point, and I don't know what that is, um, will that force the discussion on allowing some of these other holds uh, to move forward. So um, it, it's going to be uh, it, it going to be some, per as someone said earlier, personal turmoil is probably the best way to describe it here for a number of those uh, nominations. Yeah, and I think probably for a lot of people who are caught up in it, in that personal turmoil, it's a little frustrating to see that it is a political thing for people on both sides and that they're getting tied up in that in a way that we typically and and shouldn't see, um, you know, play out when it comes to, to defense issues. Um, but speaking of that, politics coming into defense issues, sticking with you, Matt Herman, um, let's talk about the NDAA, which um, you know, we had a, a rare um party line near party line vote in the house because this became kind of a big um political loaded down with a lot of political issues that we don't usually see so what give us just a, a quick refresher on what has happened so far yeah absolutely so the defense authorization bill is one of those must pass pieces of legislation every year and randy you're right at least on the House side, it got loaded down with a number of social issues that made that vote a lot closer than than it normally is. Whereas you uh, contrast that with the Senate vote was overwhelmingly bipartisan. Unlike so kind of the process going forward, unlike previous years, the staff has not been meeting in, uh, in August. Uh, folks actually got a vacation this year. So now that Congress is coming back, the staff will start the process of what they call a pre-conference, trying to iron out. Uh, some of the uh, as many differences as as they can, the, if you will, the non-controversial ones or technical ones up front, and they'll do that over the next month, month and a half, teeing up uh, the more controversial issues for the conferees and, and quite frankly, really just the chairman and the ranking members of the House Armed Services Committee uh, to iron out. That will likely tee up a final vote or a final bill, if you will. Uh, to come to the floor sometime in December. So that's unfortunately the new normal that we're living under, that these bills are going to get done in December versus now, when uh, when in theory they should. Um, a couple of the main issues, you touched on the big one, social issues. Uh, abortion, uh, taking funds or not allowing funds for, for diversity, equity, inclusion efforts. Um, as much as that's a massive difference and led to that closed vote, I, I, a little bit of a unique dynamic because I think Chairman Rogers and the Republican leaders know that these provisions as they stand now 
are not going to survive conference. They just can't. They don't have the votes in the Senate. So you'll see them compromise down on those to report language, maybe some fencing of some money that would be at the higher end of, of what they do. I don't see that being the main stumbling block. Interestingly enough, the decision on Space Force, which ties back to our discussion on nominations, the the, the hold on nominations made uh, changing the decision on Space Force almost too easy for the White House politically uh, because of what uh, Tuberville was doing. That said, I do think that that could cause some complications as we work through conference committee. I guess if you're a, an NDAA lover, the the one thing to hold your hat on is Chairman Rogers has been very, uh, very specific and very clear that he wants an investigation into this, which makes you think that the uh, NDAA won't get bogged down as much in that, that he's really going to focus oversight in the next year on this Space Force decision. Um, but other things that are out there, the F-35, the, the NDAA is an outlier in that they fund uh, funding for the second engine, and that is different from what the appropriators did. I think that's more of a, a warning shot uh, to the Air Force that they aren't convinced of the story that's being told. Um, and then there's some issues around OSD CAPE and how they uh, uh, reform that office, if you will. The House is draconian, kind of gets rid of the entire office and funding for it. The House puts some restrictive language. So those are some of the main uh, main battles. And when you look at it in the totality, this these bills are not as drastically different as they might appear. So conference won't be extremely hard, but there I think will be little things that pop up here and there that will be problematic. But in general, I don't see conference being super, super difficult. Just real quickly, a couple of things that I think ADC members really care about. DSIP, the House bill, makes that a permanent program, which is huge. Uh, it makes the Sentinel, it, it formalizes the Sentinel Landscapes program under Title 10. So it's a DOD program and expands, allows more participation. So that, I think, is a recognition of the efforts and, and success of that program to date. Uh, creates both bills uh, somewhat differently technically, but they create space national guards, big issue for a number of states. Um, and then also just a, one that this is an issue that comes up in communities a lot. The House bill standardizes base access policies. Well, uh, I sound like an old guy saying this. I feel like it's uh, more standard now than it was 10 or 20 years ago, uh, mm -hmm. but there's still probably a lot more work. The House is 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 certainly behind an effort to make it a little bit more uh, a concerted standardization of efforts there in the NDAA. So those are the big policy differences. The funding pieces are are not different because we do have a budget agreement. So uh, there's work to be done, but it's not as, as, as drastically different as one might think. Mark, does that feel right to you too, that uh, there is a chance that there will be a conference and we will have this passed in December to, to keep up the tradition of passing this? And, and what are you kind of watching and as this plays out? There are a couple of things that, that uh, to watch. I mean, the first is that there is an NDAA. Um, I would describe the NDAA as a will-pass bill, not a must-pass bill. And the reason I say a will-pass bill is that we've had an NDAA for 62 years. Uh, it's typically been very bipartisan. But both of the committees, the Armed Services Committee, they know that if they don't pass uh, an NDAA, the, uh, the Congress could still pass appropriations bills, and the government would 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 march on. Uh, you know, they would put language in there and say all all the programs in the appropriations bill are deemed to be authorized, and the authorizer would then be, you know, much less influential. 
So that has impelled them every year to pass an NDAA, and that will force the House, I think, to, as, as you heard, to compromise on many of these uh, social issues. Uh, another interesting thing is that on the Senate side, they suggested that there be a supplemental to increase defense spending. Uh, the top line stays with the president's budget proposal, which stays with the uh, budget agreement, uh, but they signaled that uh, supplemental for additional money would be good. Uh, House hasn't really indicated that. So, you know, there may be a clash downstream, you know, six months from now or whatever uh, on uh, the total amount of funding. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, I want to go uh, back to Matt Herman and talk about the uh, kind of the supplemental spending, but also the appropriations. This is probably the most urgent thing um, on the play right now with just a couple of weeks left, potential partial government shutdown. Um, if we can't work something out, Ukraine aid is part of it. The White House is saying that the supplemental, they're going to keep the Ukraine aid in with the uh, the basically the storm recovery, which is affecting so many places now, which I think kind of uh, ties the hands of some of the people who might be against it just for Ukraine. Again, that's the, the politics part of it. But do you think we're going to have uh, a, a continuing resolution by the end of the month? Well, uh, welcome to the reality version of the Jersey Shore Part 2 or something like that. So <laughs> I I look at this in three distinct but kind of related bu uh, buckets, right? So you need there's going to be a continuing resolution to keep government funded from October 1st to uh, the date that we're hearing now is December 8th, but basically sometime in December. Um, I do think they get that done. But as I was alluding to with my my joke there, uh, there's going to be a lot of churn and burn. There's going to be a lot of, uh, I'll say, unnecessary drama to get us to that point. But I do think they get that done. Um, and, you know, but it will take every single day of this coming month, uh, September, to get this, to get the CR done. Uh, I don't think it'll be easy because, you know, Speaker McCarthy has just political numbers and political challenges within his own caucus that he's going to have to carefully navigate. And I and I, you know, I do think though, the, the risk of a shutdown is there. I, I would be lying if I didn't say there, there isn't a risk of that. Uh, even though plenty of people can look back at history and show that it's not a good thing, uh, you know, technically and politically, uh, you, you just have a group of, of of newer members there that didn't necessarily live through the last shutdown that may force that issue. One of the other issues that may come up as an outlet to get the CR done, though, um, is also but politically risky and challenging, but one that I'm starting to see a little bit, which is, is there some relief by starting either an official impeachment inquiry or some sort of investigation into the Biden, uh, the Bidens themselves, like the Hunter Biden? So you're starting to hear some of that talk. So you have to start to look at that as maybe being one outlet that the that the leadership looks to just to get them past the CR. But I think you get a CR. Um, when it comes to the Ukraine aid, um, uh, it, it is tied in very much so with disa additional disaster funding. The White House just released its request of anomalies that they want to see included in the continuing resolution. And one of those is additional uh, disaster funds. Um, I think the issue of Ukraine, though, uh, Ukraine supplemental funding gets punted to the omnibus or whatever we call it at the end of this year. I don't think leadership's going to burn its political capital on a CR. It's going to be tough enough, even without anomalies, 
to get that done now. I think they do put some disaster funds into a CR, but it'll be very limited to disaster funds. I don't think they'll add some of those other things. The real question becomes, what does a final uh, appropriations bill look like at the end of the year? Um, that is going to be very difficult. And I think this next month, uh, September, will be very instructive of how the end of the year is going to shape up. But yeah, I mean, uh, Mark is spot on. The Senate uh, was able to do a lot more in their bills because they moved some funding over to the supplemental uh, to the Ukrainian supplemental, and that allowed them to do more uh, member interest issues and address some of their priorities. So that issue will come to a head. I just think it comes to a head at the end uh, of, of this year. And all of it is political calculations on both sides. With you you giving that December timeline on that and the NDAA, I, I think we're all going to be back here in a couple months talking about this again, if you will have time. Let, let's schedule. do this on Christmas Eve. Come on. <laughs> sure. Um, you, I'll let you tell my mom that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I said that the, the CR is, is maybe the most urgent thing here for the next few weeks. But another big one, really, Mark, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, is recruitment. You know, we've got a few weeks left before the end of the fiscal year in that regard, too. Um, where do you see that coming? Are are this, any of the services going to hit their targets? Uh, I mean, the short answer is, doesn't look like it. Uh, right. The, uh, all the services are low. I think some of them, maybe the Marine Corps might make it. I think Space Force makes it, but it's tiny. Uh, the Army is down to about 500 or the 455,000 active duty. They want to be at 484 and were there a couple of years ago. Uh, and their projections don't show them going much above 465, and that's probably optimistic. So a uh, couple of things coming together. I mean, one, of course, is the economy. You know, when this low unemployment in the economy, that makes recruiting very difficult. Uh, but uh, you also have... Uh, a problem with qualified uh, young people, you know, that is between uh, legal problems, between uh, drug problems and um, you know, fitness, the pool of young people who are eligible for military service is really very small. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm not sure that long term uh, uh, it's going to be, uh, it's good, long term, it's going to be very hard uh, to continue. Uh, to recruit to these levels. I think that over the long term, the department is probably going to keep moving in the direction they've been moving over in the last you know, 30 or 40 years. That is fewer people on active duty, maybe more reservists, but certainly more uh, government civilians and more contractors. Yeah. Uh, Matt, Matt Boren, this is something that ADC has been pretty vocal on as, as far as the role that communities can and do and want to play in this. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, our, our, the board wrote an op-ed on this back in March during our national summit. And when you look at where recruitment is, recruitment numbers are exponentially higher in defense communities than they are at other places. And that comes through familiarization. Uh, it also comes through, you know, the warrior caste where you have family members who do it and you kind of follow in the footsteps of your you know, mother, father, grandfather, you know, what have you. But, you know, in terms of recruitment, I think there are things that the services and other communities across the country could learn uh, from one another. For instance, I was in El Paso uh, doing a tour of Fort Bliss and the community about two months ago. 
and walking around with the city manager downtown. And we were kind of lamenting the fact that communities, defense communities, are having a hard time getting younger enlisted and, and officers off post into the community. And the same thing with younger veterans. They're having a hard time getting them engaged. You know, they're not going to the VFWs necessarily and, and other outlets that traditionally they would. But the city manager told me something that I think is, is very interesting and could be a model. He said the Army has an e-sports team. I don't know if you gentlemen knew this, but every service has an e-sports team where their entire job is to play video games from Call of Duty to yeah. Halo. And, and, you know, and they're meant to kind of go out and, and be seen and things like that. Well, they only have four members per service, though, you know, these sergeants and things that are, are walking around. But he said the Army team came to El Paso, talked to the city. He said they shut down a few roads downtown, had them bring out this amazing gaming trailer, kind of announced it and publicized it. He said the connection that they made with younger service members, younger families, younger veterans was incredible. He said they had to bring out food trucks and beer tents. And honestly, that that brings up the question, are the services utilizing tactics, strategies like that, or are they funding million dollar Super Bowl ads? Uh, you know, so I, and that's just in one defense community. You start building on those kind of anecdotal stories and you can see a strategy that the services and other communities could use. That's great. But yeah, that's really fascinating. And those are the kinds of things, too. We talk about defense communities, but there are communities that may not traditionally have military connections that can also learn, you know, defense communities um, can, can be models for those places in terms of recruiting kind of some people who may not be as military connected. I'm feeling a little more, you know, I read and write about the news every day. And after this conversation, I'm feeling a little more optimistic about all these things than I was 30 minutes ago. So thank you all. Uh, Matt, Herman, do you have any um, closing thoughts before we wrap up here? No, I, I just on the recruitment thing, I think it's an opportunity uh, with the Army in particular, since they're hit the hardest, to re to um, break any cultural stovepipes that they might have to autonomous systems, right? I think it, to Mark's point, you've seen this reduction in, in force uh, and strength. Um, and I think it allows them that opportunity to embrace some of these technologies that still require people. It's not that you don't need a person to help run it, uh, but it takes it to Matt's point. It takes a different skill set, maybe a different interest level. And you're going to have to speak differently to these younger generations. It's different. Uh, and, and, and I think Matt's spot on it, may, it, it less on the Super Bowl ad, maybe more on the uh, on the gaming piece. Uh, but again, you know. I think the important thing for defense communities with the uh, bills that are out there, uh, ignore the hyperbole for a little bit. Uh, we're on a pathway trajectory to do it. There's just going to be a lot of drama along the way. Uh, but by all means, they ought to be engaging with their delegations between now and the end of the year to make sure that this is top of mind and something that they don't forget needs to get done uh, this year as it has every year. Yeah, that's great. Mark, any uh, any closing thoughts as we wrap up? Just to reinforce something Matt said, which is uh, don't get distracted by the drama. Uh, focus on the substance. You know the important issues on the table are you know, the future of the conflict in Ukraine, the competition with China over Taiwan, the long-term health of the all-volunteer force. You know these are the things that are going to be issues for many years and are really critical. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all, um, uh, Mark, Matthew, Matt, Boren. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts. This is going to be an interesting few weeks, and this is helping us really kind of set up what um, what folks can watch for. So, so thank you all for for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having us on the show. Again, that was Matt Boren from ADC, Matt Herman from the Roosevelt Group, and Mark Kansian from CSIS. We spoke August 31st, so there may have been some new developments by the time you're hearing this. If so, of course, you can track those by reading our daily newsletter on base with ADC. You can sign up for that at defensecommunities.org. America's Defense Communities, the podcast, is a production of the Association of Defense Communities online at defensecommunities.org.